And welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything, weather, science, earth science, and a whole lot more. I am your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz podcast, Andre Bernier, and I'm the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. This is episode number 305 for Wednesday, March 9, 2022. And as I speak these words from the Weather Jazz studio, I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing a Charlie Brown snow. And we're right on the edge of a very weak system, which is producing that, what I call, again, a Charlie Brown snow. What do I mean by that? Most of you know that in the Charlie Brown series, especially the Christmas Charlie Brown animated special, You always see the snow coming down very, very gently and softly, but you never see it accumulate. And so whenever we get that snowfall that does the same thing, it comes down very slowly, very gently, and really doesn't accumulate on anything. I call it a Charlie Brown snow. Should be out of here pretty quickly as we go through the rest of this Wednesday. And by the end of the day, don't be a bit surprised to see the sun come back out and, of course, The waxing moon, which is approaching, and I believe today will be at its first quarter status. Well, this is Science Wednesday, and over the course of the last several Wednesdays, we've been visiting different solar system objects. We've been to Mercury, we have been to Venus, and we've been to Mars. Don't worry, we skipped over Earth because we'll come back to Earth. Earth may actually require more than just one part, although we could certainly do that and kind of give it a broad brush as we've been doing with the other planets. And yes, we will return to the sun as well. But today, we're going to take a slight deviation, although overall we'll continue with the general theme of astronomy, and in particular, in our own astronomical backyard, which is our solar system, which is really Fascinating and easy to take a look at through your own eyes. You don't need a telescope for that. The objects are very readily visible. However, there are some people that would like to try their hand at astrophotography. And so today I have invited back John Talbot. He's a college classmate of mine back from the 1970s and early 80s at Linden State College. And John was with the Air Force for many decades as a hurricane hunter. And as we approach the hurricane season, we'll have John back to tell some of his stories of hurricane hunting and what that is like. However, John has a fascinating hobby, and that is astrophotography. 
And at first you might think this is a very expensive hobby. Well, it certainly can be, but it doesn't have to be. And John's going to explain how you can easily get into astrophotography with very minimal expense and with a little bit of know-how, your results can be really, really stunning. So when we come back from our break, we'll have an uninterrupted conversation with John Talbot about how one can begin their hobby as an astrophotographer. Now, for those who would like a little visual help, you can go to weatherjazz.com, episode number 305, and actually watch the episode. I've recorded our Zoom conversation. John picks up a couple of interesting articles and actually shows them to the camera so that for those of you who would like a little more visual reference, you can do that. Again, weatherjazz.com, episode number 305. When we come back, a phenomenal tutorial on how to get into astrophotography with my former college classmate, John Talbot. Don't go away. John, welcome back to Weather Jazz. It's good to have you back on. Yes, hi, Andre. Nice to see you again. Well, before we get into today's topic, and we're staying on course with astronomy, because on uh, the next bunch of Wednesdays, we're examining pieces and parts of our own astronomical backyard vis-a-vis the solar system. And so we've done Mercury, we've done Venus, we've done Mars. And those of you that said, hey, you skipped Earth. No, we didn't. We'll come, we'll come back to Earth. And we're also going to include the sun at some point. But I wanted to take a little bit of a break and talk about astrophotography and how to get into it. But before we dig into the, the meat of that, I have a question to ask. And that is the fact that you just literally returned back from a star party in South Florida. Tell us about the star party, what was going on, anything new going on at the star party? Yeah, no, um, I did. I just got back uh, a few days ago. Uh, I typically in in January or February or March, whenever they decide to have it, meet up with uh, um, 20 or 30 friends down near Lake Okeechobee. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year, it happened to be the first week of March because it coincides with when there's no moon in the sky. So um, we went down there and uh, had, uh, oh, four or five beautiful nights of clear weather and nice warm days to uh, to take images. And uh, we had a various, um, you know, very various people there that had all kinds of different, uh, you know, experience people from using uh, DSLRs to people using, you know, high-end uh, cameras. So, yeah, it was, it was a great time. And uh, we all uh, had a lot of neat fellowship and hung out uh, in the afternoons and gabbed about uh, stuff we all loved. So, yeah, it was fun. How many people actually uh, came to the start party approximately? Yeah, this one was about 25 mm-hmm. people were there. And it's, it's a private event on a piece of private property mm-hmm. owned by some people that, uh, you know, kind of developed this just to do this mm-hmm. in that part of the world. You know, in South Florida, there's, there's a lot of lights, mm-hmm. but there's a uh, there's a, a magical little place uh, just in the middle of the state, north of uh, Lake Okeechobee, that the skies are wonderfully dark. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, who was the one 
to travel the longest distance to be with you there in South Florida? Uh, well, that would be my friend Dana, who uh, traveled from Galveston Island, Texas, uh, down there. Yeah, he came. He stopped at my house on the way, and, uh, and then we traveled together from here. Uh, most people that rent this place were from uh, South Florida. You know, they're all local people that, uh, you know, they have an astronomy club down there, several. And, uh, but yeah, they, Dana took the longest drive. I think his drive was two days. <laughs> oh, wow. And yeah. so what new, anything new from the star party or any new images? Um, uh, what were some of the highlights for you? Yeah. Well, the highlight for me was I was, um, you know, we had a little astrophotography contest. Ah. Okay. So submit your best image. And, um, I ended up winning that last year. Mm-hmm. So this year I was the judge. I didn't turn anything in, but I, I was the judge of all the images and we had four or five really nice images turned in. So that was nice. I got to pick which one, you know, we thought was the best, best done. And, and, uh, you know, everybody has all kinds of different equipment. So we kind of, you know, don't really, uh, um, you know, I'll fault somebody because they have a little telescope versus a big telescope. It's, mm-hmm. it's a lot in the, you know, presentation, what the image looks like and how it's, how it's framed and, you know, kind of the artistic side of it a little mm-hmm. bit. So, yeah. Now, did the so image have to be done at the start party or could it have been done in the last year? Were there any rules for the image? No, it had to be done there during mm-hmm. that time. And, um, you know, during those nights that we had uh, that, that were nice and clear, so, yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, let's get to the topic at hand, because if somebody out there is saying, hmm, this sounds like an interesting hobby, but it also sounds like a very expensive one. I would imagine it doesn't have to be very expensive. Uh, how do you get into astrophotography? What what do you do to start the process? Yeah. So, um, it can be expensive, but you're exactly right. It doesn't have to be, especially when you start out. So, you know, most people these days have, uh, one of these mm-hmm. cell phones, cell phone. Yeah. And a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people have one of these, mm-hmm. the DSLR camera. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this is really all you need with a lens. Um, a lot of them come with kit lenses mm-hmm. and a tripod and you can, you can do astrophotography very well. You can take um, images of the planets or the moon, especially the moon. The, you know, the moon is big. Mm-hmm. So that's always a good thing to start with. But, um, you know, wide field images of the Milky Way. And um, using a, a, one of these DSLRs, um, you know, is a great way to start because they're so accessible. They're not very expensive. A lot of people already have them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few, there's a few tricks you have to know, obviously. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, online courses. You can go on, you can go on lots of social media like Facebook these days. And, and if you're interested in astrophotography, you know, you'll, you'll start seeing things like, um, um, advertisements for courses, you know, people that will teach you how to do it uh, using mm-hmm. things just like that. So you don't need a telescope. You don't need to spend a lot of money. And, um, yeah, you can, you can take some really, really nice images. Now, I remember taking some um, astrophotography with uh, my DSLR. Um, and 
some of the problems once you start zooming in is you start seeing the star trails because you don't have a tracking device to kind of keep things aligned up with with the stars. Right. Uh, are there any tricks to preventing those star trails? Uh, do you have to keep it wide? Can you zoom in? Uh, what are some of the tricks of, of preventing those those star trails from the long exposures? Yeah, well, first of all, let me just say that um, you don't want to zoom in. I know everybody wants a big picture, you know, mm-hmm. something in, in your face. But to start when you start out, you want to be, you know, even a 35 millimeter lens, which mm-hmm. is wide field. Um, you start with something like the moon, which is nice and bright. And the rule of thumb is... 500 divided by the focal length of your lens. So if you are using um, like a 100, 100 millimeter lens, say, mm-hmm. 500 divided by the focal length by 100 gives you a number. And that number is the amount of time that you can set the shutter on your camera, um, the maximum amount of time to avoid star movement, star trailing. And things like that. It's a pretty close number, actually. It works fairly well. You may have a little bit of a of a, of a star that's not perfectly round, but but that but that's okay. Uh, but that's that's the rule: five hundred divided by the focal length. And it's a a commonly known you know rule in in the astronomy astrophotography community. So um, that's what I would start with. I yeah. just learned something new. And so in this particular case, let's use your example: hundred to hundred millimeter focal length. 500. So that would give you, uh, five, uh, or it'd be be 500 divided by a hundred divided by. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, if you just go 500 divided by a hundred, you get, well, you get the number five. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah. So that five seconds is about as long as you can expose, but for most things, okay. I got it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, for most things, um, you don't need to go that long. Mm-hmm. Things that are bright, like like the moon, you'll be taking an image of, of like maybe one fifth of a second, or maybe mm-hmm. even less, maybe mm-hmm. maybe one two hundred fiftieth of a second. Um, but but yeah, that's the rule. So that's only one part of it, though. The other part of it, you have to focus, right? You have to have a you want a nice sharp image, and the way you focus with uh, at least one of these cameras, a DSLR is most of them have this function called live view. Mm -hmm. And there's a little button on the camera that if you push it, it'll put in, it'll put the camera into sort of like a video mode, Mm -hmm. right? It'll open the shutter and it'll show you on the screen, a live view of what you're looking at. And that is the, you know, the most optimal way to, get to a nice sharp image because you, what you do is you press the button, you're looking at the moon and then you, you take your lens and you turn it back and forth and you'll see the moon becomes a big blob. Mm. And then if you go the other way, it'll get sharper and sharper and get smaller. And then all of a sudden it'll go to be a big blob again, but the other way. Mm -hmm. And the focus point is in the middle there. And you know, you just tweak that. And then once you do that, um, you, there's also another function on here that allows you to zoom in. So you want to zoom in there to get the moon as big as possible on the screen. So you tweak the focus that way, turn off the live view, and then start, you know, your, your imaging mm-hmm. um, or your picture taking. 
The one other thing I want to mention is it is really, really helpful if you get what's called an intervalometer. It's a little device that connects into the side of the camera Mm -hmm. that allows one to set the exposure time. But it allows you to open and close the shutter without touching the camera. Oh, so the shaking. Yeah. So if If you touch mm -hmm. it, yeah, it'll Mm -hmm. shake. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously you need a tripod too. So um, those are kind of the, you know, four things, a tripod, a lens, a camera, and a little intervalometer. Um, So, yeah, that's the way you do it with a DSLR. Um, If you just have a cell phone, well, there are some interesting things that you can do with some of the later cell phones, like like the newer ones, maybe over the past year or so. Um, I know uh, the latest iPhone has a night mode to it, and you can put it down and and just point it up at the sky and and, and hit the. It goes into what's called night mode, and mm-hmm. it'll take actually maybe ten or fifteen images. And you won't know this, but it takes them and then sticks them all together, stacks them together to create a a brighter image of like mm-hmm. stars. Mm-hmm. And it's really, um, it could be nice for the Milky Way and stuff like that. Um, there's some Samsung, um, Android type phones out there that do the same thing that, that do it pretty well. And there's a lot of examples of that, uh, that you can find online. So, um, you know, there's, uh, yeah, there's several interesting ways to do this that uh, don't cost somebody an arm and a leg. And, and these are things most people have already. And the stacking that you, you talk about that uh, it happens in, in the iPhone is interesting in that uh, not only can it happen very simply with with an iPhone preset, but you do this on a regular basis with a lot of your, your images with your big telescope. Uh, you stack images over a period, even of days, even months, uh, in order to to uh, get what resolution and color correct is, is that what's happening? Yeah. Usually what happens is when you stack images, you're doing it to reduce noise. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. You're doing it to reduce the graininess of the Mm -hmm. picture. Mm -hmm. If you remember, you know, you and I are old enough to remember the old TDs, the black and white TDs with the grainy screens, you know, the snow you used to say in the Mm -hmm. screen, well, that was noise. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happens when, you know, you take a picture at night. With your phone, you, know, you go outside and just take a picture outside at night. You may see some street lights if you're in a neighborhood or something, but the background of that image is very noisy, very grainy. Well, when you, when you take images and digitally combine them one on top of the other, and they're aligned on the same subject, mm-hmm. the noise um, decreases significantly depending upon the number of images you take mm-hmm. because each image you know, each pixel changes just a little bit. Right. And um, by combining all those together, uh, yeah, you, you have you have a chance of making a much smoother shot and bringing out more faint things, which is what is everything in the sky. It's pretty faint, except some of the, you know, the brighter stars and the moon and stuff like that. So that's why we do it. And some of yeah. the star parties uh, that are out there, uh, are there... Anybody, are there any newbies to to coin a phrase? Anybody that comes that that says, hey, I'm interested, but I have no idea where to get started. Is a star party a good place for somebody who's brand new at astrophotography to uh, 
to make uh, as a part of uh, their learning process? Yes, um, it's a wonderful place to go. As a matter of fact, most all the star parties I go to, including the last one I was just at, there's always somebody there that uh, either is just starting out mm-hmm. or wants to learn. And um, the bigger events have loads and loads of telescopes to look through, right? Mm-hmm. And some of them um, have these little contraptions where you can connect your phone into the telescope, into the into the eyepiece there, and you can go home with a picture of the moon or a picture of one of the planets or, you know, which kind of, you know, for, for, for kids, it's pretty oh, exciting to yeah. go show their friends, hey, look at this picture I took of the moon. Um, so, so that happens a lot. And there, and there are groups and people that that's their main interest in life is to show people how to do stuff like that. And, and it's, it's astronomy outreach where they, uh, you know, will all go, I have a friend that goes and he sets up in the Starbucks parking lot in, uh, in Lake Mary, Florida mm-hmm. once a month. And then they get 30, 40, 50 people come out there, you know. And they get to look at the moon. They get to look at, you know, whatever is an interesting object that he points to in the sky. And he gives them the opportunity to, to connect their phones into the, into the eyepiece wow. on the telescope <laughs> to get a picture of it. So, um, and that, that, you know, that generates conversation and it generates, you know, what, do I, what else do I need to do? And that's how a lot of people get mm-hmm. into it, get interested in it. That reminds yeah. me of a, a gentleman who sets up his telescope in a local area here in uh, Northeast Ohio in Chagrin Falls, Chagrin Falls Park. And it was uh, still during the day, uh, yet he had his telescope out and he had a, a large group of people around him. And he explained, hey, look, there's a way to see Venus even in broad daylight. You have to be careful, obviously. You don't want to be pointing your telescope at the sun, but if you know where to look. And people were looking in broad daylight at Venus, at, at a crescent Venus on top of that. So it was um, it, it was wowing people and maybe even spurring on a few of the young folks in the telescope who, who took a look inside saying, hey, maybe, maybe this is something I can do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, young kids are impressionable and you never know what you're going to like to do in life. So, you know. To give them that opportunity, maybe it'll spark some interest. And uh, I've done exactly the same thing. I've looked at Venus during the daytime. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It is hard to find. And it is close to the sun most of the time. So you have to be careful about the sun. However, um, you can do it. Um, I've actually seen Saturn during the daytime. Really? Before. Um, yeah. Um, I was up in, in California mm-hmm. at a star party. We were pretty high elevation, about five or 6,000 feet. Um, and you could, if you knew exactly where to look, there was like nothing but blue sky until you got to that one little spot. And then there was this little, you know, little dot in the sky and that, and that was Saturn. It was really interesting. I physically had never seen it or personally had mm-hmm. never seen it before during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Venus, yes. Um, but Saturn, no, but uh, that was, yeah, you can do things like that. Very and, fun. Uh, yeah. Fun stuff. So tell us uh, what your website is. Uh, remind people where they can go to see some of your images. And uh, remind us how long you've been at this now. So, yeah, I've been doing this for about 20, 21 years mm-hmm. um, in the making and uh, hopefully a few more. Um, my website is starscapeimaging.com. So 
it uh, is fairly easy. It's, you know, I take starscapes in the sky. So starscape imaging. And uh, yeah, I have some wonderful images on there. And uh, um, well, everybody's welcome to check them out and take a look at them and uh, so forth. So, yeah. And there are, you know, what I would suggest people also do is, um, you know, Google is a great resource for this. Um, also, YouTube is a great resource. Just, just you know, go to YouTube and stick in astrophotography. You will find hundreds of videos from beginner to, you know, experienced and advanced. Anything you want is available there. And uh, people have done some remarkable work um, showing individuals what to do. John, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, thank you for spurring on. Perhaps somebody out there who thought that they couldn't do it, but now you're giving them some hope saying, yeah, I think this is something that not only would I be interested in, but I can actually do uh, and uh, come back sometime, anytime. And of course, uh, those of you that uh, don't remember from the first time we had John, John is a retired hurricane hunter. And uh, so during the hurricane season or maybe a little before, whenever you think it's appropriate, let me know. And we'll talk about some of your adventures in hurricanes. Absolutely. Nice to talk to you again, Andre. I appreciate the opportunity. John was able to supply me with some really, really interesting photos that he took with simply a camera. The camera that he held up for the video that, again, you will see on weatherjazz.com, episode number 305. So when you get a chance, go check it out. The images are truly amazing. And if you're looking for some easy ways to begin in the field of astrophotography, so be encouraged by looking at those images. Those were taken with a simple camera, a digital camera, and a lot of uh, homes and a lot of people have these already. You don't have to buy some special equipment, as John mentioned. If this is something that interests you, you may want to review some of the information that I mentioned with John on episode 305 and or take a look at the video that is posted on weatherjazz.com so you can get started. And if you do, make sure you share some of your images with me. Send me some of your photos. Weatherjazz at yahoo.com is a great place to send JPEG attachments. Hope you enjoyed today's episode, this slight deviation, although, again, we basically kept the same theme of space. And with a simple digital camera, you can take pictures of things like the moon, some of the planets, even the Milky Way, as I mentioned, and as depicted on some of the images that I share on the website weatherjazz.com. We'll try to pick up where we left off in the solar system exploration next Wednesday, and we'll continue to do that until we exhaust most of the objects that we have in our very own astronomical backyard. Do you have a question or a topic suggestion? I welcome your input. You can reach me via email, weatherjazz at yahoo.com. And also via voicemail at the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line, 234-525-5888. If that's too fast for you, especially if you're driving or on a run, not to worry. Go to weatherjazz.com, click on the Contacts tab at the very top, 
and you will have all that information right at your fingertips. And yes, I do listen to and read every single message that you send me via those two platforms that I have on weatherjazz.com. Open Line Friday coming your way in just a couple of days. You never know what I have up my sleeve. Oh, yeah, I've got a couple of ideas and a couple of different directions that I could go. You never know what you're going to get. So join me on Friday right here on Weather Jazz. We'll see you then. Weather and science across the globe. Jazz Pop!